Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Rob Schellenberger. I'm your host, Jamie, and you're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. Each episode is a mini training where you'll learn how to achieve extraordinary success. Rob is a best-selling author, former F-16 fighter pilot, Air Force One advanced agent, world-renowned keynote speaker and corporate trainer who's trained Fortune 500 companies around the world, executive coach, father of four children, and the CEO of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, Mr. Rob Schallenberger. All right. Well, good afternoon. Good morning to our podcast listeners. Welcome back to the Becoming Your Best podcast. This is your host, Rob Schallenberger, and I have got a special guest uh, here with us today. And it's kind of funny because uh, I will introduce Ryan to you, but Ryan is a person whose story I've told in different seminars around the world. And so it's fun to have him on the podcast with us today because really what he's done was inspiring to me. It's, his story is going to be in our uh, book coming out next spring, Becoming Your Best for Teens. And I think what Ryan is doing has really blessed a lot of people around the world. And so excited to have him today with us. So with that, let me introduce to you Ryan Hurljack. And Ryan, if you don't mind, maybe you could just tell our audience a little bit about you and what you're doing in your background so that they can get to know you a little bit on a more personal level. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Uh, my name is Ryan Hurljack. I grew up uh, in a small town outside of Ottawa, uh, Canada's capital. And I guess the easiest way to put it is when I was a kid, when I was six years old, I started volunteering. I became engaged in a school project to fundraise money for clean water projects. And the easiest way to say is it never really stopped and it became part of my life and it became something that really meant a lot to me. And it was able to get to the point where what started out as something that was very naive and something that may not have done anything ended up building a well and then doing so much more. And then it got to the point where it created a foundation called the Ryan's Well Foundation. And that's been around for 16 years now, and we've been able to do over a thousand water projects all over the world, helping almost a million people get access to clean water. So I guess my story is that you're never too young to make a difference, and you never know what will make a difference sometimes. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, Ryan. So I mean, it's, (laughs) and I think you just totally undersold yourself. I mean, as far as what you've done is amazing. You've brought clean water to over a million people now at this point. Uh, what he didn't mention is that he was on Oprah. I mean, he's been on different shows. I asked him where he's been recently, and he's been in Singapore, uh, Uganda, different places. And so what you're doing is really amazing, and clearly just a very humble person, uh, <laughs> which speaks volumes to you. I, and well, maybe I just expand a little bit on this, how it came about from that age. What, what happened well, there? Well, knowing more about it, I think it's easier to understand why it's easy to be humble about it, because when I was a kid... Uh, my teacher tried to explain to us uh, a complicated issue, that there were people in the world that didn't have access to clean water, and we didn't understand. We were like, why don't they have water fountains and things six-year-olds ask teachers? And my teacher really had to take the time to explain to us, like, no, that's not everyone has water. Sometimes kids your age have to walk as far as five kilometers, which we did not understand. So my teacher tried <laughs> to explain it to us by saying, that's about 5,000 steps. Hmm. which didn't help either, but it got me thinking. So I took the steps it took me to get from my classroom to the water fountain, and I counted 10. So 
you know, when we were a kid, I guess one thing that was stressed on me a lot was this concept of sharing, that things were fair in the classroom. And to hear that it wasn't really around the world and that there were kids who couldn't even go to school because they had to spend their days getting water, it it kind of upset it, it upset me because I, you know, was led to believe that, you know, if you wanted to work hard and go to school and, you know, try to succeed, then you could. So that led to me thinking that, okay, I'll just get the money from my parents and give it to my teacher and then everyone will have clean water and that, that, that will be that, which my parents thought was a cute idea, but they didn't take me seriously. <laughs> I needed the money or I didn't understand what I was asking. I would just forget about it. But I kept on reminding myself and I pestered them, I think, for weeks until they finally said, okay, we're not going to give you the money, but we'll give you an opportunity to earn it. Which I love that, by the way. Yeah, to do additional chores on the things I already did. So I already had to do six-year-old things like make my bed, clear the table. Now I was told I had to wash windows, vacuum, shovel (laughs) snow, and all these things I didn't do before. And I got in exchange, I got an allowance at the end of each week. And it took a long time. Actually, it was a school project that was supposed to last for 40 days. And by the time 40 days had gone by, I had only raised $25. And my goal would have been 70 <laughs> So I actually failed. And I remember my teacher was a little disappointed. But I had set myself a goal. And I thought, I really thought in my mind if I could just get to this goal that I set for myself that I thought would build a well, $70, then everyone in the world would have clean water. Hmm. I was very young, but that's how I worked. And because of that, I decided not to give up. And I kept working and it took me four months to raise the $70 only to find out that that would nowhere near cover putting in a well somewhere in the world. It would cost closer to $2,000, to which I said, that's okay, I'll just do more chores. (laughs) And I think both my parents were concerned and kind of did a little facepalm because, you know, they're grown-ups. They understood that you couldn't have that kind of impact even if you had the sincerest of intentions and worked the absolute hardest you could. I was a kid, so I think they tried to let me down in a really easy way saying, like, you know what, you tried really hard and you did the good work, but, you know, it's okay to stop. Hmm. And I think one of the things that really underlined that is that I wasn't a special go-getter kid i was you know when it got to the weekends i wanted to go home and play video games with my brothers and sleep in and i just wasn't that kind of student so i think they were a little bit perplexed but it was something that just really meant a lot to me and i think i started bringing it to my neighborhood and then my class and i think people were especially my peers and my classmates they were half surprised and half challenged saying you know if ryan can do this why can't I do something about it? And I think that started a tipping point where it became less of my project and more of my class's project and then my community's project. And now where we are today all around the world, I think one of the only reasons why we've been able to do so much hasn't been because I was anything special or out of the ordinary, but because it was a message that you don't have to be someone that important you don't have to be that go-getter that activist that saint to make a big difference in the world you can be a kid in grade one and that's led to all the work we've been able to do to this day man that is fabulous my mind is just racing with ideas (laughs) I, I, i mean you think about all the lessons that could be learned by adults and by us and leaders and organizations number one you had a vision even in elementary school the power of having a vision and how you rallied people around your vision and ironically 
even as well-intentioned as many of us are, as parents or friends or even coworkers or, or supervisors, how often do we unknowingly stop someone from doing something that they could have done? You know, like your parents, yeah, right, you want to do this. <laughs> but then they saw that you were yeah, serious about it and the impact. And people started rallying towards you, and it became theirs as others grasped onto your vision. Mm. No, I think a really important thing is I may have had a lofty goal. Like my goal when I came home that day was I wanted to bring clean water to everyone in the world. But on my teacher's sheet, it said $70 to buy a well. So my mom, when they fi I finally convinced them to let me raise the money, my mom did probably the most important thing uh, that she could have. Uh, she drew a thermometer and she stuck it on the side of the fridge and had two, four, eight, all the way up to $70, which was my goal. And every $2 I raised, they got to color in another line. And that may sound very simple, but I think sometimes when we're setting goals, we can be a little bit ambiguous. We yep. can set too high or too lofty, or we don't have a clear idea what success looks like. And that's been important. That was incredibly important for me for not giving up. And still today, when every year we set ourselves new goals, what success looks like, what do we want to achieve? And I think that's very important when you talk about, you know, trying to change the world, even if it's a little bit. Oh, people respond to the thermometer. Never underestimate the thermometer. Thermometer. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I want to. What I'd love for our listeners to hear maybe is some of the experiences you've had. I mean, we really could just take the whole call on how this all just came about because I mean, you ended up raising two hundred fifty thousand, and then seven hundred fifty thousand, and so on from there until now. It has blossomed into this organization and foundation that has transformed the lives of over a million people, as you mentioned. And you've been back to Africa numerous different times. There's you know, we didn't talk about uh, your adopted brother, I believe, uh, or yeah. anything like that, which is okay, and that's great. What are, because there's only so much time we have, what are some of the experiences, stories, or lessons learned through all of these years from your trips back there to Africa and just from this whole experience? What are some of the things that really stood out to you, some of your stories or your lessons learned? I think uh, one thing that really sticks out was probably the first trip I ever took to Uganda. I would have been, uh, that was where the very first well was built, and I would have been nine. And my neighbors, who I ended up doing chores for to raise the money, they used to travel a lot for a living. So they gave my family air mile points, so we were actually able to go. Hmm. Uh, the school there had heard that a kid, like a student, had raised the money for the well. And they were very curious and like surprised by this because... You know, it was contemporary. If you're a student, you, like, sit in class and you listen to your teachers and things like that. And they took it as a learning example to their students that you didn't have to wait to make a difference in your community. So they were very empowered by the idea. So, And they always wanted me to visit to officially open the well. So it was this good opportunity, and I was actually able to go. And I was very nervous because I had never really been outside of Canada and the States before. And I would have been nine. I went, it would have went across the world and went to the school and when I went there was this big huge celebration there there was over 5,000 people there was a feast and a <laughs> festival and everyone was just so just pumped and just like happy now was this a was this a, a celebration that was going on anyway or is this because you were there this was a celebration because the well was officially opened and wow. because I was coming to visit and how cool they had it and it it took me a second to reel back and they had it because they had clean water at the school. And, you know, I, when I was a kid, I never, I still, I think, I don't have a smile that lights up on my face because I can have a shower or a glass of water. So to see something that I considered so small and, you know, like negligible, to have that much of an impact on someone's life really gave me the motivation to keep on going. 
And then you hear stories like my adopted brother, Jimmy, who it's a long story in itself, but to sum it up at the beginning, he went to that school before and, and after the first well was built. But before the well was built, he used to have to get up really early in the morning to get water for his family because there wasn't a water source at his home or at his school. And he used to have to do that so he had the privilege to go to school. He used to have to get up at midnight wow. in the middle of the night and walk over five kilometers for him to the nearest well, wait in line, fill up the canisters, come back, and then do the trip again, and then do it one more time, and then he would be allowed to go to school. Wow. And then when the well was put in, Jimmy didn't have to do that anymore. You could just bring the water home at the end of the day and not have to fall asleep in class. So when I think you look at water and the necessity of it, if you don't have, have it, you get clean water, you get sick, and you can't go to work, you can't go to school, you have to spend your days going to get it. And it's one of those simple necessities that I think we take for granted every day until it's not there anymore. And I think we that's one of the reasons why we started at Ryan's Well and why we continue today. Hmm. Uh, I love what you said there, and that is you don't have to wait to make a difference. <laughs> yeah, I think when you looked at me, particularly when I was a kid, like, and I volunteered to the project, I remember I raised my hand saying I was going to raise the $70. My teacher was surprised and raised her eyebrows and said, are you sure you want to do that, Ryan? Because, you know, if you were to pick a person to have a substantial impact on the world, I would not have been that person you would have picked. I didn't understand the issue. I thought one well would literally bring the world clean water. It wasn't the top of my class. I think I was just kind of, you know, there. And I wasn't really a leader. So I think it was just that initiative to, you know, find, I found something that I cared about. I couldn't believe about the amount of steps it took me to get to the water fountain. So I raised my hand. And I think that's a powerful thing that you lose when you get older. You become more cynical, more logical. You look at the complexities of things and find it as an excuse of inaction to not do anything because of, you know, how hard some of the problems are we face. But I think it's incredibly powerful to sometimes think like a six-year-old to say, okay, I know how I feel about this. I'll find the results or the way to go about this as I go. But I know how I feel, and that's the driving factor. And I think that's you know the driving factor that still sticks with us today. It's still that same goal I had when I was a, when I was a kid. You know, isn't there power in almost that naivety? There's a there's a couple of statistics that we use in our seminars that hmm. the average person has been told no, or what they cannot do 148,000 times approximately by the time they're 18 years old. And we think what that does for our dreams and our visions of what we think is possible, and it really puts a lot of us as adults into a box. To where we say, mm. we can't do that. Well, that's our perception of reality, but we take, away, we take away all that programming and we put the mind of a six-year-old, a seven-year-old in our brain and all of a sudden, wait, what if we did go do that? <laughs> Whatever that is, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that we get drilled in is that, you know, we can't act or that, I guess it's difficult because when I, you know, as I grew, grew up with all this, it was easy to become a little bit discouraged because you saw how big the problem actually was. Like back then, it was a billion people that didn't have access to clean water. Hmm. And you grew up and you see all the complexities and layers and all the reasons why people say no. And it's important to realize those challenges and not be ignorant, not stick your head in the sand. But at the same time, you can't focus on that 
when your goal is also there and you're going to fail, you're going to, things aren't going to go right at the same time, uh, all the time. Like I would have failed so many different fundraisers and little things and little goals that I set for myself. But at the same time, if you keep on going forward and focus on that initial why and say yes, I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. Well, and I think that for my feeling, I mean, and I know that you don't have a whole lot of background because this is the first time we've actually ever talked about the 12 principles of highly successful leaders. And it's ironic how many of those you, without even maybe necessarily knowing it, are living and doing. I mean, talk about one of them is to lead with a vision. The second is to manage with a plan. The 12th is to never give up. And when you start <laughs> to bring these all together, it creates a combination of excellence no matter where we're at in life. And you see that manifest. I mean, it's, and when you were six and seven, you didn't even know it, but really what you had was a vision. And then you work, went to work on executing your plan. And people rallied to that. And you're right. You had, you know, there's missteps along the way. We all have that. Uh, so I, that's one of the reasons I love your stories because it encompasses so many of those principles of success. And so what are you doing? Maybe just describe now what you're doing. Uh, what's, what's the current state of things over there? And what's your vision for the future now? Well, I volunteered for Ryan's Well for about 18 years. Uh, for me, I did a lot of different things. Uh, I went to school out, uh, out in eastern Canada. I did a few different jobs. And then I started working for Ryan's Well actually two years ago, helping with the project work and the fund development and actually doing a lot of the work on the ground, which is really amazing to be a part of. But I guess it's just moving forward. Last year we had a really good year, and this year we're going to keep on going forward, doing all our project work where you know people like Jimmy need to be able to go to school. And it's as simple as that, really. So we have to kind of start over every year. So we're just tackling our goals, trying to fundraise as much as we can and do as much work as we can to help achieve that goal of when I was six. Yeah. And when, when you do this, right now, where is primarily your work focused? Is it in Uganda? Is it in the other parts of Africa? Is it where yeah, is the primary bulk? Right now, we work in Eastern Africa and Uganda and Kenya. And we work in Ghana, Burkina Faso, and Togo in Western Uganda. And we do a lot of work in Haiti. Where we work, where we work is because of, we have the best on-the-ground local partners there. And we're able to very well micromanage our projects so we are accountable for every little thing and which is really important for us because we may be a small organization but one of the reasons why we've been able to stick around over the last 16 years is because that's been our focus we wanted to make sure that every penny that we fundraised went towards where it needed to be and that was kind of the idea behind it that you know let's just get things done and that's what we've been able to do so those are our countries of focus because we're able to do the best work we're able to keep the best managed and we're also able to make those projects the most sustainable so have the best confidence saying a lifetime from now they're going to be working man i'm so confident in that and and again i'm just and I, you, when someone else tells you you're humble that's always hard you're like well what do you say yes i'm i'm of course i'm humble <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, I don't think I'm humble. We don't say that. As well, and the experiences and the work we've been able to do, like I'm immensely proud of it. But when I think people have a conception to say, "Oh, it's because of you and all the work you've been able to do," I don't believe that for a second. Like the only reason Ryan's well has been able to go forward is because I was able to share my vision, what I felt when I was yes. a kid, and because of that, it's not mine anymore. And when you look at Ryan's well. I'm lucky I'm still able to be an ambassador for the message and to tell my story. But why we are where we are is because people embrace that message that I was able to share. If I just kept it to myself, maybe none of this would have ever come to be. So I oh. think it's the message that's more powerful. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's, that's 
what I'm getting at there is you said it, you know, it's a small organization, but the message is powerful. And the fact that you've already influenced a million people with your organization is what's so inspiring. So in all of this that you've done, I mean, you're 26 years old right now. You've done a lot in 26 years. And, and there's still so much more to come, obviously. Your best is still in front of you like it is for all of us. What tips would you have for our listeners? I mean, we have people listening who stay at home and raise their children, man, woman, it doesn't matter. We have people who are CEOs of publicly traded firms, people in the Philippines, Australia, around the world. So what are some general tips that you might have from them in your experience that you can draw on and share? I think one really important thing is I may have said uh, you're never too young to make a difference. It's also important to remember that you're never too old to make a difference. You know, we all come to realizations with things that we connect to or we're passionate about at different points in our lives. And I think just when you find that thing, it could be anything. For me, I was lucky. I think I found it with clean water when I was a kid. And I've been able to volunteer and do things with it throughout my entire life. I think it's important when you do find that thing to not do something small, raise your hand, and get involved and see where it leads. I think you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the cause you care about to do that. And I think the second thing I would probably say is, I guess for me and my story, I may have said you know all these things about when I was a kid and people told me no and it was a little bit difficult in the beginning. When I was older, maybe 12, 13 years old, and the project was more successful, people started talking to me in a very different way than what they did. People started talking to me saying, good job you're for being an activist, good job for being selfless, good job for being a role model for your peers, and all these things. And that actually made me more uncomfortable than when people were saying no. Because I, w- didn't, I wasn't any of those things, really. Like, with what we've been talking about, why we were able to do so much was because of so many people. Yes. And I think what's important to realize is, you know, I used to look up to those people when I was a kid, you know, saints and you know, selfless people, activists who used to give their lives entirely to the causes they care about and used to go out of their way immensely. And you know what? I, I envy those people. Those people exist and are out there and are amazing. But I'm not one of those people. Like when I was a kid, I liked getting to the weekend so I could go home and play video games with my brothers. And now that I'm older, I'm looking forward to the weekend so I could go play video games with my friends. And <laughs> it's You don't have to give up enjoyment or give your life away you look at it as an experience to enhance your enjoyment to enhance everything and don't take it as a negative that you don't have to give up everything you care about to do something for something else you care about like it's important to find balance and moderation for whatever your passion is whether it be through work or charity or whatever that thing is that speaks to you find time for it and find time for yourself as well well and ironically you just touched on the number one challenge that people consider is so when they were there's a big group that have been surveyed and their number one challenge was how to prioritize their time 68 percent of people say their number one challenge is how do they prioritize their time to stay focused on what matters most Mm. and that is great advice because sometimes in my experiences and interactions with other people I, i think we've all felt this at some point is you feel like it's an either or proposition yeah. Like, I've got to give up all of this to go do that, whatever, you know, that might be. And that's great advice because it doesn't have to be that, does it, Ryan? I mean, you can take an incremental yeah. amount. You don't have to devote your entire life to a certain cause. But simply by doing something, taking some small form of action can still ripple and have a big impact. 
No, it's incredibly important. I'm reminded, I was on this uh, radio show, actually. It was called CBC Radio. And they were doing a special segment where they were interviewing volunteers. Uh, this is the Canadian uh, Broadcasting Corporation, like their radio program. Mm -hmm. And they were doing a special segment where they were interviewing volunteers of different generations. So they were interviewing someone who was 0 to 9, someone in their teens, 20s, 30s, all the way up to someone in their 90s, actually. And I would have been the 9-year-old. And they would ask us all different things. They did these, this round of interviews, like what motivated us and this and that. And when they were done the interviews, they found out something very curious. With the exception of myself and the teenager, every single other activist volunteer person that they interviewed at some point in their life had gone through a mental breakdown. Hmm. I got to the point where they were doing so much that they couldn't sustain a healthy lifestyle. So I think it's really important to remember to, you know, keep track of your goal, keep honest with it, keep it as part of your life, but don't let it consume you. Make sure you stay healthy and make sure that you're making the right decisions for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And it, Amen. if anybody's listening to this, they are hopefully familiar with roles and goals and pre-week planning and the power of looking at your life through the lens of different roles, setting up annual goals in each of those roles, and then doing the same with pre-week planning, which is what are your roles? Uh, and what matters most this week in each of those roles. And it's a powerful process and tool to help maintain that balance that you're talking about so we don't burn out, which has happened to a lot of people. Uh, it's a classic. What you just described on the activist side of the world is exactly what happens to many entrepreneurs as well. I believe it. Yeah. They get so consumed and focused on building their business, their baby, that it becomes that they get lopsided in their balance, and, and sometimes there's a crash or a breakdown that happens or you know, what you described there and, and it is preventable. It absolutely is by doing what you brought up there. Well, Ryan, our time flies by. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. If, if there are people who want to learn more about what you're doing at the Ryan's Well Foundation, and I invite everyone to go check it out because it's just amazing what Ryan's done. Can you just briefly share with us your website and how anyone might be able to get in contact with you or at least just find out more about uh, the foundation and what you're doing? Absolutely. Our website is ryanswell.ca. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's under ryanswell for most of it. And yeah, you mind, uh, feel free to send me an email or us a note or let us know what you're doing or donate or whatever it is. Uh, let us know. Uh, ryanswell.ca. Fabulous. Well, Ryan, uh, keep it up. You're amazing in what you're doing. And like you said, you know, sometimes it's the small things that make a big difference. And you've, you've done a lot of those. And we just appreciate what you're doing. Your story has been shared in a lot of places. And hopefully that will be the catalyst to inspire others to do what they can. Even though, like we've just talked about, it might be a small thing. The ripple can still be significant in the lives of different people. So thank you so much for being here, Ryan. We appreciate you. And to all of our so Becoming Your Best podcast. Go ahead, Ryan. To everyone with uh, Becoming Your Best Self. What you're doing and spreading the word is incredibly important. And best of luck to you and to all your listeners. Well, thanks so much, Ryan. And to all of our listeners, hope you have a fabulous day. And, and Ryan reiterated this again, and that is that one person can make a difference. So let's go out there and have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. Don't forget, you can find more great episodes of the podcast at becomingyourbest.com forward slash podcast, along with great show notes, a full transcript of the episode, and all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Please share your comments and questions with us. We want to hear from you. The best way you can show your appreciation for our podcast is to leave an honest rating and review on iTunes. 
Now it's time for you to take action and truly start becoming your best. Remember, good, better, best. Never let it rest until the good is better and the better is best.